Hello everyone, my name's Tina Dare and I want to welcome you to the Surge Network's Faith, Work, and Rest podcast, where we explore what it means to glorify God and love our neighbor through our daily work and rest. All right, we're switching things up today. We are introducing the fall season with a special guest. I've got Warren Williams here with me. Thanks for being on the podcast with me today. Glad to be here, Tina. Okay, so Warren, I was realizing that this whole thing, like it was what, five years ago or so that we were on a podcast together? It was five years ago. We were on the inaugural Redemption Tempe podcast. Yep. So this feels like like a milestone. We both have- a Reunion. A reunion. We both have kids now, like life. Oh, is, life yeah. has happened, but I am glad to be back on a uh, podcast with you and I'm excited for uh, this conversation. So Warren and I uh, were classmates at the Missional Training Center for four years. We, you know, spent time together just soaking up wisdom there. Um, Warren's a pastor at Redemption Tempe. He was formerly in uh, transportation logistics or some other fancy word that, um, (laughs) does that work? (laughs) That works. (laughs) No one knows. If I try to describe what I, what I, what I did. It'll probably take me three hours. So bad transportation logistics. If you don't know what that means, do your homework. <laughs> I, if I could summarize three hours in two words, I think it would be those two words. Absolutely. And then on top of that, something really pertinent for our conversation today is Warren is an artist. So he um, has written, performed, produced music, um, and hopefully again someday. But it's out there. It's out there under Warren Christian. So if you don't know, now you know. Now you know. Now you I know those dreams, my family. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I love being an artist, love creating. It is always a ton of fun. So hopefully I'll uh, return to that someday. So we are launching this fall um season of the Faith Work and Rest podcast with a kind of a curious theme. We're doing a little three episode mini-series on Hollywood, uh, which is a little bit out of left field for a Phoenix-based podcast, but It all started with an email, like all good things. Uh, So episode three of this mini series that'll be out in a few weeks um, is with Caleb Monroe. And he is a couple things. He's a writer, a comics writer and more in Hollywood. And then he also has um, directs a ministry in uh, called From Reality LA. And so he does like a lot of faith and work engagement in the city. And so through a conversation with him, he connected me with some other great people in Hollywood and this little beautiful mini series was birthed. So Warren and I today are going to have a little conversation about what was, I think what's so cool about pairing these three together is that some, there is this really cool, like common threads overlap, and then some really divergent perspectives that was neat to see three people in the same field, all believers thinking through what they do in, in unique ways. So Today's episode is with Karen Covell. Next one will be with Ron Austin and then following up with uh, Caleb Monroe. <sighs> All right. One of the themes that I, I really sensed like through the episodes was this importance specifically for Christian artists. So let me, let me be clear, not artists that make Christian art, but artists who are Christians. Right. Um, the importance of community, I felt like kept popping up. Um, yeah, what resonated with you in the episodes or what have you noticed, Warren, in your need for that? Absolutely, man. Um, I think one thing that stood out in Caleb's episode, he was talking about the nature of encouragement, right? That mm-hmm. encouragement in scripture 
is never um, an individual thing, right? That it happens within community. And I think that's huge um, for artists. Uh, and it's, it's not something I think that's necessarily always common in our artistic mm. communities. Within artistic communities, a lot of times there's the competition, right? There's a the sense that, hey, I need to be better than this other person and this other artist so that I can stand out. And a lot of art is about being seen, right? <laughs> like to, mm. to be seen, heard, to be received. And I think, uh, yeah, uh, um, one of the things that I think that he was that he mentioned, I think was just really cool, the importance of encouragement within community for a lot of the times as artists, we can become so distracted um, maybe with, um, or just so engulfed within our work. Um, and we tie sometimes our emotions to it. We tie so much to our identity to it. Um, and so when maybe things aren't working out as quickly as we want to in cases, or we don't have the level of success that we want, or um, maybe you got some, you received some criticism, like the importance of encouragement, encouragement to remind you, like you are not, your your the completeness of your identity is not found. Mm. The completeness of your identity is found in what God made you and how He made you and the fact that you bear His image. Um, and so I think that from that perspective, the importance of community. But Ron, I think in Ron Austin's interview, he was just talking about it from a more practical sense of being able to support one another. Right? Art is not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for most artists, it's not the most lucrative thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can do uh, with your time, um, but in the sense of art, but, but art's still important, right? And so if we can, within community, be the uh, support each other financially so that, you know, people can have the time and space to be able to create beautiful art um, as they reflect the image of God, the, the greatest artist of all, of, of, of eternity, um, like, I think that's a, that's a really cool practical element uh, of community. And I just think the best art, so the best times that I've ever been in the studio and created the best music I've created has been in the studio with multiple different people from multiple different perspectives. Mm. Each bring unique things, the unique perspectives, the unique ways that God has like individually gifted them. When they bring that all together and, um, you know, and, and a song is created, it's much more, it's, there's just so much more depth, right? Than an individual artist than me individually just trying to create something. Uh, by myself and so uh mm. i i think uh yeah i think i think there are many ways that community just improves the nature of art right and the art that's created um and i thought uh you know some of the things that were brought up in each interview was really pertinent to that mm. yeah yeah i loved ron it was the way he described it it was almost like an artist should be creating kind of for a community like if we have these communities of christians that have these longings and pains and desires and dreams and and how what they're feeling and experiencing maybe maybe you know 15 of them can't express that artistically in a way that they would like to but if they wrap around an artist then art can be produced that almost represents a community is is you know can transcend that community but um is doing something you know for for it like there's this mutually like edifying experience that yeah I just thought that was so good so good. Um, I, I would encourage artists because, like I said, art, the way that, like, I think the, the, the ultimate maybe artistic vision that's put up in culture a lot of times is that person all alone painting their picture alone. Mm. But the most beautiful art is done in I would encourage artists, if you're listening to this, like, get some people around you. Um, and, and it's risky, right? Because, so, again, so much of our art is tied to our art. 
when you get in community, you might, you might hear, you might have someone around, you might be like, eh, you know, you could do it that way. And that feels like a personal attack, mm -hmm. but you know, um, in many cases, it's not that, and you end up with a better product, you end up with a, a, a better, uh, better work. Mm. So good. All right. Okay. You gotta be honest. What was your favorite episode of the three? You know what? If I'm being honest, I have to go with my buddy Ron. I don't know. I'm calling my buddy. I don't know him personally, <laughs> but I felt like you know he he his his attitude, his demeanor, um, his storytelling. It felt like I was in the room with him, mm. uh, listening to him. And man, there was just so many um, parts of what he was uh, of, of the interview that were just like just like gold nuggets, like gold nuggets of like wisdom and history and. I feel like uh, he took me to a time and place, um, mm. and it, it 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 felt like I was in that time and place with him through his memories. I mean, even things like he was mentioning that I think his first drama coach. I, I may I may be butchering that, but one of his first coaches was like Charlie Chaplin. Right? Yes. And, yeah, and, and and you can tell there was some closeness because he was like Mr. Charlie Chaplin, and it was like he was talking to Charlie Chaplin again. Like in his mind, he could see himself. Mm. Calling Charlie Chaplin, Mr. Charlie Chaplin again. And I just thought that was, that was cool, right? One of the greatest actors of all time. Um, it, you know, the, the proximity that he had to him, I think, was, was really cool to, to hear that. Um, and I, I think there was, just, there was just a couple of things that I, uh, you know, I took away from the interview that was really meaningful for me. Mm. To me. I think when he was talking about method acting, right, and the, the shift from theatrical to method acting and you know he kind of talked about it in an in in incarnational way right he was mm -hmm. like you have to like put on the character you have to get in the depth of what this character is thinking and feeling in order to uh in order to be able to empathize with the character and portray it well um mm -hmm. and i thought you know there's definitely some parallels there so when we think about the gospel and um, you know how we seek to be incarnational people with people's lives and stories so that we can know them well um, and serve them and love them well. Um, I love also, I was to say this, uh, I love just his, it was a journey through time. It was a yeah. journey through time. He was going from different movies and time periods and how like each movie uh, or each movie that was coming out from each time period, how it reflected something of the culture, mm -hmm. right? The, from the uh, optimism of like, it's a wonderful life to the, uh, the despair right, in um, uh, Chinatown and some of the movies of that era. I thought that was, uh, that was really cool. Um, and I just love uh, how throughout his whole interview, he kept on like shifting the focus off of himself. Like, mm -hmm. it, was, it, was, it was really cool um, how he, he, took, it, he took more joy in just being able to have the opportunity to be in places, right, and just the mm -hmm. people that were around. And he was constantly just giving credit to so many of the the people who had helped him along, not just in his um, his artistic career, but also in his faith. So, uh, was really was really thankful for uh, off, uh, off Ron's interview. I wanted to call him Austin. Yeah. Last name. <laughs> for Ron, really grateful for Ron's interview, his history, his wisdom, and all the shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Can I just say all the names? are so like Ron Austin, Karen right. Corbell, Caleb Monroe. I'm like, these are good. They sound like they're going to be on the Hollywood bar, uh, Walk of Fame, right? They sound yeah. like <laughs> their names, they're names. ready. They're like, yeah, they're, 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 they were great actors and actresses of some time. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It was, it was such 
I just felt like so honored, um, you know, my conversation with Ron before and our engagement and his incredible humility matched with this like unparalleled experience and wisdom and, and just how it was like, he was grateful to be on. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like we are, we are benefiting. Like we, yeah, it was, it was such an honor. I agree with so much of what you said. And I love to, this is something that, um, wasn't necessarily pertinent to his work, you know, specific, like his art that he created, but how he grew up in Hollywood on, you know, in the, maybe you would call it like the underside or whatever you would call it of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And to see his journey to like long to be one of those, you know, one of them long to, to be in the affluence and the, you know, all the lights. And yeah. then when he, when he met Jesus, he had a calling back to those forgotten in Hollywood and how that was where his greatest joy came from. But it was all, but then he went back and, and taught, you know, and, taught at university and is teaching us still all these things so it's like it was a place really that was consistent in his life and he loved that place and he had eyes of Jesus to see all the different ways he could which I just thought was really incredible um yeah I love yeah no for for sure it was this uh I mean I don't want to spoil the interview too much there's so much gold in it but there's no way I could because there's no way I could spoil this interview in our conversation we're having here there's just so much in there um but yeah even how he talks about how the the landscape of hollywood changed you know mm. um it was this like beautiful desirable place and then for it to change when it wasn't like that in the 70s and him going to work with um you know yeah you said people that were underprivileged and um yeah he uh he really gave us for me like he gave me a, a real cl- i felt like i was close to Hollywood I know Hollywood I guess from movies and stuff like that but I to actually get his perspective into like what it's like and I think you know one of the things that he he mentioned too was like how he recognizes Hollywood selling dreams and like you know mm-hmm. it, it, there, there, there's there there and, but but at the same time not becoming so cynical about it like still seeing like the beauty and importance of film and art and um it, it was it was a really great close conversation that um it gave me a perspective that there's no movie no documentary mm. yeah it was great okay so if this doesn't get you to make sure and listen to ron's in two weeks i don't know what will <laughs> <laughs> but basically uh, just re- <laughs> we're into it guys yeah. <laughs> okay i would say ron yeah ron's was so special to me but i also really loved so caleb's I feel like I was telling Caleb and I, I feel like share a brain, like the way we think the way, you know, he does that intersection of faith and culture and work like I do. And I had so much fun with his too. I loved um, how he talked about the gospel and storytelling. And I think you said it, Warren, when we were chatting, it was like the gospel, what is it? Unravels? Unravels. Unravels narratives. Yeah. It unravels narratives. Like the gospel isn't this simple, triumphal, you know, yeah. like the, the hero wins with no pain and no, like it's not at all. In fact, like the depths of brokenness that the gospel brings to light and suffering and it unravels everything. And, and so the complexity of storytelling as Christians and how he didn't take like this easy path to being like this is what it means to tell christian stories or to be a christian telling stories like not at all like his work in um as a comic writer in films is like 
I don't think if you go to a site, you wouldn't see it and be like, oh, this is definitely a Christian artist. It's kind of like, right. oh, this is a, oh, he's a comic writer. Like, oh, this is so interesting. And then yeah. when you hear him talk, like the depth of how he wrestles through these things through a biblical lens and through the lens of like Christ and, you know, the, um, the climax of the story that we're all a part of being death and suffering. And it's, yeah, I just, I, you know what I would say too, what I really appreciated most about Caleb was you can tell that he has worked out like his fate with mm. a lot of intention, a lot of time, a lot of thought um, within his work. And I really appreciated yeah. that because you know what, I think for a lot of Christian artists, um, we can, and I'll include myself, like we can think that, well, if the gospel isn't explicitly preached in this very clear way, then like our art is no good, right? Yeah. And um, even the the way that Caleb describes the different ways that he is like living as a faithful presence um, in mm -hmm. Hollywood amongst writers. And he had like a number of different approaches um, and not feeling like this angst of like, well, I didn't give them the four spiritual laws or something, you know, I didn't give them the, you know, uh, he, he, he's not feeling that angst. And, you know, he sees, he, he recognizes that he serves a God that can work through different means, right? And um, yeah, I, I just really appreciated the, the thought um, that he put into even how he's, how he is going to be a faithful presence within Hollywood, amongst writers, amongst non-believers. Um, I, you know, one thing that he said, uh, that I thought was, was gold, he said in the gospel, right? The hero loses his own purpose. Mm. The loss is the win. And it's mm. like, yes, man. I thought that was, I thought that was so, so good. Um, and he even talked about, you know, what I love what he talked about too, was like non-Christians, non-believers uh, still living out this narrative, still telling the narrative and having the ability to do so. Um, I think a lot. Of believers would say no that, that can't be the case but because the gospel is the true story of the world yep. right um you can't it's like you almost can't avoid it right <laughs> you, can't, you can't get around it because um you know we see the beauty of the sacrifice and sacrificial love even the world sees it even if it um isn't necessarily tied to the gospel and so i really appreciate uh, caleb's thought and intention around his work oh yeah yeah i totally i'm really really grateful for him uh, okay well we got we got some teasers for you guys so those are the next two episodes coming so what we got for you today is karen colvell and we won't talk too much about it because you're about to listen to her but she's pretty incredible her faithfulness um to hollywood her faithfulness to prayer is just out of this world and her humble like sense of you know all god calls me to do is show up and to pray and to love and so I actually got to meet her in person and um, come to her office that is in um, First Press of Hollywood, which is this incredible, I think it's like a hundred year old church that used to, I think, have like 10,000 worshipers. It doesn't anymore. So they use the space for different things. Um, but it's like right off the walk of fame. They built the Hollywood freeway around this church. Um, she said Bono when he comes into town, like worships there because it reminds him the most of home, which is, uh, is it? Is he from the UK? Oh gosh. Yeah, UK. So like it has it has that that feel to it, you know. Um, so I met her there and I'm sitting in the office with her and just like by the end of it, she's praying for me and my family, praying these these words that you know I, I still resonate in my heart and just mm -hmm. 
her ability to just love through prayer and presence is really incredible. Um, so I will give one, uh, one little tidbit for the episode coming at you with her that I thought was, that was my favorite part of my conversation with her is her ability not to just let prayer soak into her like kind of ministry in Hollywood, praying with, through, and for people in Hollywood, but just how it carried her in those intimate moments of her work. Um, so she was put on this project with Hugh Hefner, everyone. Um, not not working with him, but but interviewing him, telling his story. <laughs> she worked for Hugh Hefner. No. Um, <laughs> And yeah, just, I I won't, I won't, you know, jump in too much, but just how entering in, in prayer and seeing God show up and what he brought out of it, these beautiful, like this, this beautiful, um, yeah, these nuggets that, that got brought from her just fully taking the next step in prayer along with other Christians that God brought was really incredible. And I think just speaks to all of us where we're at is we face these tensions in our work that seem like like Hugh Hefner tensions, right? Like, like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, and just be like sitting back and saying, God, what are you doing? And how would you have me play a part, you know, a small part in this, um, story. So, all right, I will leave you with that. Uh, I hope you really enjoy the episode right now with Karen Covell and then the episodes coming up. I'm here today with Karen Covell. She is a producer and the founding director of the Hollywood Prayer Network. Um, I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation with you today. Thanks, Tina. Nice to be here. I just want you to start by telling some of your story. You have a beautiful journey um, that has these amazing twists and turns, but can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, sure. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago in a very creative home. My mom had been an actress. My dad was a singer. I have one of four children. And we went to dances and theater and music concerts. And it was just a very, very creative upbringing. My older sister went off to Juilliard and became an actress in New York. And I wanted to be like her. So I decided to go to USC in Los Angeles and be a theater major. I was not a Christian. We grew up in a home where we went to church, but we had no understanding of God or personal relationship. It was more of a, you better show up or you might go to hell type of <laughs> type yeah. of upbringing. So I went off to USC and like my other sisters, left my faith behind. And my, not my faith, really my, my religious belief behind yeah. and was immediately assigned a college roommate who loved Jesus more than anybody I had ever met Mm. or seen in my life. So my freshman year, I spent in a dorm room, a very small room with my best friend who just kept telling me about Jesus. Mm. By the end of the school year, I realized two things. First of all, I didn't want to be an actress. I wanted to put things together. I wanted to organize and raise money and be the behind the scenes um cheerleader for projects, but I also wanted Jesus. So I became a Christian the end of my freshman year of college, but I told God I would let him take my whole life, except three things. I did not want to tell anybody about him. I did not want to be a missionary and I did not want to go to Africa. (laughs) You can't hate them. So I thought I would start mobilizing and challenging the church to pray for the people the projects, the issues in Hollywood. I started seeing it as the world's most influential mission field. I even see it as a hidden people's group. 
we follow all of the definitions of a foreign hidden people's group because in Hollywood, we have our own gods that we worship. We have the Oscar God, the Emmy God, the, mm. the, the, the Grammy God. Mm. We have our own language that we speak. We're closed to outside influence. Nobody can get a hold of a celebrity. They're untouchable. Mm. And so we've created our own culture and the culture just didn't include Jesus. So the more Christians that come into this culture, the more we open up the understanding that there is something more to life than just yeah. Hollywood. So I've been finding a great joy in challenging Christians to pray, building community here, and then sharing our faith with the people in Hollywood who don't yet know Jesus. And that's become just a life mission for Jim and me and our friends and our community. Wow. Oh, you have a little book. Um that's about three stories. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. We started, Jim and I, immediately bringing industry professionals who are Christians into our home. 30 years ago, we started this. We've been doing it ever since. And we started a class called How to Talk About Jesus Without Freaking Out. <laughs> we'd come for six weeks. We'd memorize scripture that were important to sharing our faith. We would talk about how do you talk through circumstances when somebody wants nothing about to know nothing about Jesus, but that we can be salt and light. And how do we pray for people, not judge them, not try to make them change, but just invite God to come in. And we do it through three stories. It's very simple. We find out their story. Hmm. Where, where did this person come from? What do they believe? What makes them tick? What is their life about? Then we tell our story. Why did I embrace Jesus? Why am I following him? What is my life about? Where did I come from? Where are my hurts and needs and struggles and joys? And then we tell God's story. Why did he come to earth? Who is Jesus? What does he have for us? So it's just three stories. Find out their story, tell your story, and then tell God's story. And we teach it this way to industry professionals because we're all storytellers. People understand stories. And Jesus was the best storyteller of all. He even said, everything I do, I do through stories. So it's really exciting to tie in Jesus's purpose, our goals, and, and reaching out to people's hearts through telling stories. And through your work as a producer, you you know, your work is to tell other people's stories and specifically, right. You really focus on and emphasize, um, doc like documentaries and. Yes. I love true stories. Mm -hmm. I just love them. I've done documentaries and specials and I'm working on a feature now based on a real person. And I just love the power of a real story. And they're always better mm -hmm. than fiction because how can you beat a story <laughs> that God has created? Mm -hmm. Wow. I heard a story um, about a, a a project that you were called to that you kind of cringed at first, but the questions that you asked were the key to something beautiful that was produced. Can you share that story? If you know oh, which one I'm talking about. I sure do. I find one of the issues in Hollywood is Christians aren't sure what jobs they should take, if they're mm -hmm. compromising their faith by being a part of a project that might have some compromising themes or words or issues or something in it. And what I do as a Christian is encourage the people in our Hollywood community to seek God for what is best for them and not to be afraid, not to make decisions saying, oh, that's got some bad words in it. I can't do that project. <laughs> but to say, God, how can I be used by you? How can I impact people? How can I touch people that maybe nobody else has a chance to touch? If I take this project, I don't, I'll never compromise my own faith, but 
if I can be there and share my faith with someone else, maybe I'm the only one meant to be in this project right now. Hmm. So that's what we encourage people to do. And then I had to live that out because I was hired years ago to be a part of a team for a show called Headliners and Legends with Matt Lauer. Huh. It was a celebrity profile show. It came out of New Jersey, MSNBC, and they were opening a, um, an LA office. So I got hired to come on board and the executive producer I knew was a Christian, but there was nobody else involved in the show. I, I thought that was a Christian. So I came on and I was all excited. I loved the project. I loved producing. Um, and I thought, what, can I, what celebrity could I be assigned to so that I can spend three months interviewing people, preparing a story and cutting a one hour episode on this person? Yeah. But we're in the very first meeting. And I'm next to this guy named Rick I had never met before. And the room was full of people I had just met. And we were all talking about people that we wanted to interview. And then the, the, one of the producers turns to me and Rick and says, Karen and Rick, I'm going to partner you up. And we've been approved by MSNBC um, for an episode that I want you two to do. And that's Hugh Heffern. Whew. And I sat there and thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to spend three months creating a story on Hugh Hefner and the Playboy Mansion and Playboy Magazine and the Playboy Channel and all the mm -hmm. bunnies. I did not like that man. Mm -hmm. I thought he objectified women. I believe still that he harmed women in America, mm -hmm. even to this day. And I was mad. I thought of all the people, how in the world? And then with this guy, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I went home and I said to my husband, oh, pal, I don't want to do Hugh Hefner. And he said, if you don't do it, somebody else will. And if you do it, you can do it differently. So why don't you, Christian, take it on and pray about how to do it differently? And I hmm. really got excited and thought, oh, my gosh, this could be a divine appointment. Who knows? I can figure out a way to tell the story in a way that might, might just bring some light into it. But... I have this guy, Rick, I have to do it with. So the next day I got up, I went to work and I said, Rick, I have to be honest with you. I did not want to do Hugh Hefner. And he said, you didn't, neither did I. And I wow. said, what do you mean? And he said, I am, I went to my pastor and I told my pastor that I didn't want to do this show. And he said, Rick, if you don't do it, somebody else will. So why don't you do it and do it differently? And so I was blown away. And I said, my husband said the same thing. Are you a Christian? He said, yes. Are you? And I said, yes. We found wow. out we were the only two Christians on this show. And we started praying about what we do about Hugh Hefner. Oh. And what we decided was we would not just tell a story of who he is and what he accomplished, but we would find out why he became the man he became. Hmm. What made him Hugh Hefner? And so we started interviewing people in his childhood, interviewing people in the neighborhood where he grew up, friends of the family, um, asking stories about what was the family like? How, how did he grow up? And we found the most amazing thing. Hmm. We, the last person we interviewed was Hef himself. I hired a Christian um, sound man and cameraman. And Rick and the two guys and I got in a car and started praying as we went toward the mansion. We got to the mansion, we stopped, and a boulder said, um, who is it? And we told him, and the boulder <laughs> answered, and the gate opened, 
And we drove up this amazing place where we saw uh, ye yellow yield signs that says, beware bunnies at play. And we got to the, to the parking space. We went in his library. He had so many interviews that he designated his library just for interviews. It was set up with the lights where he wanted to sit. He knew what he wore. There was no creativity involved with the crew. We just did what they told us, plugged in the camera, and that was it. He came in with his entourage. He had PR people and a couple of bunnies. And I swear there was a hitman in there and a bodyguard. <laughs> and it was wild. They were lovely. They introduced themselves. We introduced ourselves. We sat down and Rick was asking the questions. And the first question he asked was, Hev, what was your life like growing up? Hmm. The first answer. Well, we believed in God, but it wasn't a very loving home. He said, my parents never told my brother or me that they loved us. We never got hugs or kisses. My mother had a fear of a, a phobia of germs and wouldn't touch us. Mm. We never got hugged or kissed. And he said, they gave me one thing growing up, which was the only thing that showed that they loved me. And that was a blanket. I slept with it. I carried it around all day. It was my one thing that I had that I felt like showed my parents cared about me. And he said, it was my bunny blanket. It had little bunny rabbits around the outside of the blanket. And he said, I always wanted a puppy, but my mother would never do it because of the germs. He said, and then when I was about seven or eight, he said, I got a tumor in my ear and the doctor had to do surgery and told my mom that I might lose my hearing. And so her best friend said to her on the phone, help might lose his hearing, give him a puppy. So he said, my mom broke down, went to a pound, brought a puppy and I love that puppy. He said, I, I did the biggest gift of love I could do. I let the puppy lie and sleep on my blanket. Mm. And he said, it was, it was just a joyous five days. And then five days later, his puppy died. He said, they didn't know it was sick. He said, so my mother had someone come in, take the puppy, put it out. Mm. And then in front of me, she burned my bunny blanket. Mm. And he said, at that moment, he said, I guess from then on, I'm just a little kid still looking for love. Mm. And the rest of the interview, he kept talking about looking for a love that is real. He's never really found a real love that he watches mo old movies and wants to see the love story that's true. He loves lyrics of love songs because he wants them to be true. The, the whole interview is about this. Mm. And at the very end, there was this silence and nobody said anything. And finally, a PR, one of his PR reps said, well, that wasn't an interview. That was a therapy session. <laughs> and we all started laughing. And Hep got up and he came over and he said, that was my favorite interview. I have never had people ask me questions about my childhood like that. He said, that was so much fun. He loved it. Hmm. He, he just opened up about everything. And we we're just stunned like, Lord, you've already been answering our prayers. So we went back, we cut our episode. I wrote half a thank you note and said, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be with us. We enjoyed it so much. Mm. I said, and I realized in the interview that there was one thing you have not accomplished in your life. You have everything man has to offer. I said, you know, a living God, but I don't think you've ever met a loving God. Mm. And that's what I pray is your last accomplishment. And I sent him a book by Ravi Zacharias called Can Man Live Without God? Hmm. And I just sent it to him and thought, that's all I can offer. There's nothing else that I have. 
I got a letter back two weeks later. I never expected it. Dear Karen, thank you so much for my favorite interview. I look forward to reading the book. I do have a faith, but a lot of people might not understand it. Have a great day. A beautiful note. I never expected it. And I thought that's the most I could offer him. Three months later was Christmas. I got him a Bible. I stamped his name on the front. I wrote something on the inside. I wrapped it up in Christmas paper and I sent it to him and said, Merry Christmas. I got a note back just a little bit later. Thank you so much for the gift. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Wow. Three months after that, he was speaking at the television academy. So I brought a friend with me and said, I want to go see how he's doing. This was six months after the interview. And I showed up and we listened to him talk. And then I went backstage and they let me in. They brought me backstage. He came right up to me and said, my favorite interview. Oh. I was shocked. And I said, Hap, it's so good to see you. And he said, yes, yeah, great to see you. And my friend who was with me said, she said, Hap, hi, nice to meet you. She said, you know, it was so interesting hearing you talk, but I think there's something you've never experienced. And he said, what's that? And she said, Grace. And he looked at her and he said, my mother's name was Grace. Oh my gosh. And then people came in and we hugged and said goodbye and it ended. And I prayed for that man till the day he died Mm. because I know the Lord touched his heart. I know people near his death who said they got to share his faith with him. I have no idea what his story is. It's between he and God, but I believe God gave me that opportunity as a divine appointment to just learn, first of all, not to judge somebody, Hmm. but to be open to anybody who doesn't know Jesus and to love them. And second of all, to realize that no one's too hard. No one's too hopeless. We can't decide who is ready to hear about the Lord and who isn't. We all have a story. And when I learned his story, it changed my life. Hmm. Wow. And that is such a big part of what you do with the Hollywood Prayer Network is getting people, getting the church to pray for people in Hollywood not to see them, you know, just, just judge their behavior or try to distance themselves, but to pray for them, um, with just a true heart of love. Can you share more about like the specifics of how that looks with the Hollywood prayer network? Well, what I find is that everybody just needs to know they have value and that they're loved. It's, it's an, it's an innate need that God has put in each of us. And so we don't try to make people change. We don't try to get someone to look to get on their knees and pray Jesus as their savior. Mm. We offer the love of Jesus to people. We serve. Um, I believe that servant leaders are the most powerful leaders in the world. I um, tell people if they come into a production office, just as a production assistant, that they should serve the people with love and joy. Mm. And that's going to make a difference. And every time it does, someone goes, where are you from? How did that happen? There's a a fun story I know about a young intern who came from a Christian college and he went into a TV production office and they were, they were a network television show in production. And this young man loved Jesus and just came in and decided to serve and get his school credit. And, and um, he showed up. And after a few weeks, the executive producer is the one who brought him on. So he was a Christian, but there were a lot of non-believers on this production crew. And after a few weeks, one of the hardcore uh, producers went into the executive producer's office and said, what, what the heck? what's going on here? He didn't say heck. And, <laughs> and my friend, the executive producer said, what do you mean? He goes, ever since this intern came in here, no one's, no one's swearing anymore. What is going on? <laughs> this 
intern literally never told anybody, I don't swear or you shouldn't swear. Never said a word. He came in, he served, he was joyful and people stopped swearing. It was a phenomena. <laughs> and I said, that's an example of the light of Jesus coming in somewhere and it impacts people mm-hmm. and they change. And we need more Christians in Hollywood and all levels of the industry to just show up as salt and light. And that's where we're going to make a difference. Yeah. Wow. To share more about what does it look like in your day-to-day of, of the work that you do? I work, um, well, the last year and a half has sure been differently with COVID, but yeah. I, I find a creative project. I um, either have a writer write it or the writer has already written it and brought it to me. Mm-hmm. I have a producing partner I work with and she and I take those projects and we find either a production company that's got some clout or some money or we find investors with money and we sell that project to a studio, to a TV network, um, to a streaming service, and then we follow it along and make sure that it goes from the script all the way to the finished project. So I meet with people all the time. Mm-hmm. I am constantly having meetings. I'm constantly um, connecting with people in our industry. I'm very involved in the Producers Guild of America. I'm a producer uh as a member of that guild. And so I am constantly meeting with people. And my greatest joy is to connect people, to hear people's stories, to make friends with someone who may never have been friends with a Christian before, mm-hmm. and to work with really uh, creative people who want to make great art, who want mm-hmm. to make great TV shows or great films. And mm-hmm. so I come on on any level and just serve as a producer in any way that's possible. That's so, it's so amazing to hear like these different worlds that you're in, that you serve faithfully in your role as producer, um, knowing that that glorifies God. And then you also have this ministry of prayer and of partnership with Christians across the city and that both of those things, um, they're unique, but they, but they overlap and they intersect and, um, yeah, just to see that you're faithful in both of those is really amazing. And I think we're holistic and I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, no, no. I think as Christians, we have to be holistic. We have to embrace our work, our family, our ministry. Mm-hmm. We're in a mission field. Everybody's in a mission field, regardless of where we are. If it's our neighbors, if it's the people at the grocery store, if it's in school, if it's in the workplace, we have to bring it all together and not separate our faith from our our work and our life with other people. And so every day, my husband and I start the day saying, Lord, use us today. What do you have for us today? We don't want to miss anything. We want to be the best we can be at our work. We want to serve and love people along the way. And we want to be excellent um, at bringing people together in the kingdom. So it's it's really a very holistic um, approach to life where I think it's more than what any one of us can do on our own, mm-hmm. but we need Jesus to have us balance it all and figure out how to do it. And when we need him desperately, that's right where he wants us. Yeah. And your story of how you st- started the Hollywood Prayer Network actually was sort of when your life intersected, your work and your family life intersected. Is that right? Yes, I was, um, I was on a job. In fact, it was this job with Headliners and Legends with Matt Lauer mm-hmm. that I was on. And I was writing a book. Jim and I were writing a book. I was working 12, 14 hours a day. And I had two little boys at home. Mm-hmm. And I was calling them every day. My oldest had just started kindergarten and I would call after kindergarten to see how it was. And the babysitter would get him on the phone and we would talk. And one day 
I got on the phone and I called him and the babysitter said he doesn't want to get on the phone. And I said, why? And she said, because he thinks you like those people at work better than him. Hmm. And it broke my heart. I, I, I couldn't stand it. I literally went in and I said, I have to quit. Hmm. What am I doing? I have two boys at home that never see me. And I'm here doing a show that I love, but the most important thing in my life are my children. And I'm not there for them now. So I quit my job. I went home and I realized I can't just be a mom. <laughs> Something else. So I had always wanted to connect the church in Hollywood somehow. And this was my opportunity. I thought, okay, mm -hmm. now is my chance to start the prayer network. I will be home with my kids. I can start this, this ministry. I can um, get it going and be able to do both at the same time. And so that's what I did. And then I started taking short-term projects as producers, be gone for a couple of months, say to them, okay, guys, I'll be back. My husband is amazing. He would jump in. We call it the baby pass off. We would go back and <laughs> forth. We, and I don't regret a moment of being with my boys so much. They are the most amazing young men. They're both in the entertainment industry there. We have a very close family mm -hmm. and I know that was God's way of just making it all work out. Mm. Beautiful to say yes. Say yes in that moment. It felt like God was calling you to take a step back. But then in that, he didn't call you to lay down your career. Um, he, he was making space for new things that he was doing. That's it. And I didn't see that at the time. And yet I knew the path I was on was not right. I knew in mm. my heart. And it made such a difference. I tell you, I, I can't imagine if I had just kept working and not spent those years with mm. my sons. And yet the prayer network is now my greatest joy after my boys. And so if I had missed doing that, oh my gosh, God is so perfect. If we plan our course, we have to let him determine our steps. Hmm. I would love for you to share. What is it? So I think often about, you know, discipleship. I have two young kids and you know, of course it's raising them up to know the story, to know Jesus. Um, but it's so much more than just this, this narrow, uh, kind of spirituality. It's helping them see the spirituality in all of life of God redeeming all things and inviting us into his story. And so what was it like to think about discipling your kiddos in the context that you were in, in such a way that they saw what now they're doing. Um, they're following in your footsteps in multiple ways. Um, how did that help you see discipleship in a bigger sense? Well, I didn't grow up a Christian, so I had no concept of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And my husband discipled me without me even knowing it. So mm -hmm. that kind of snuck up on me. And finally I realized, oh my goodness, after I became a Christian and we became friends, we read through books together and we talked about them. And the first book my husband had me read was Disciples Are Made, Not Born. Caught <laughs> on, but no, that didn't. Um, what I found was we prayed every day. I, if I would say one thing that keeps our family together, it's prayer. It's absolutely prayer. Jim and I have been married over 37 years. We have not missed a day of praying together. Even if I'm out of town, it's on the phone. If one of us is gone, we make it happen. And we prayed for our boys. We prayed with our boys. We tried to make prayer fun. We would do crazy things. We would say the Lord's prayer at dinner and hold hands with our little boys. And when it came to give us today, our daily bread, we would put in the food that we were having that night. So <laughs> give us today our spaghetti. And, you know, whatever it is, we would make it 
fun, but we would just say, we cannot do anything without bringing the Lord into it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what else I did right or wrong. I messed up, I'm sure on so many things, but I believe in making prayer a foundation for our family, that that was what was the role modeling to the boys. And we still pray together. My Mm -hmm. son, my 26 year old just moved to New York city. And before he left, the four of us sat on the back steps and we all prayed together and cried and (laughs) it was beautiful. So that's, I can't take credit for anything. I just believe it was our commitment to prayer that kept our family really strong and growing. Mm. Oh, and what's beautiful about that is when you just, when you're describing just bringing life before the Lord, and that must have taught them to see the work that they're now doing, the work that you and your husband both do as they watched you do growing up of saying, this just gets brought before the Lord. This, this is, this is his, and we just follow him in this like fluid, holistic way. Oh, that's it. And to know, I mean, we prayed for the boys before they went to school, every day before they jumped out of the car to go to school. And every night we got on our knees together and we prayed and we, we didn't make them do anything. They just became a part of our life. Hmm. And that was our life. So I, and I find, you know, there was a um, gentleman in our church who was such a role model. He died at 101 mm-hmm. and he was discipling young men until two weeks before he died. He was incredible. And he was so wise and was such an influential leader that my husband and I sat down with him quite a few times and said, Evan, tell us your secret. Tell us what you're doing. He he didn't even know what to say. He, he just said, I just care about people. And I meet with them and I ask them about their life. And I, mm. and I just want to let them know I care. And it was so simple that it hit us that really, it's not what we do or say to other people. It's really just how we live our own life. Mm. And then the discipleship comes as we reach out and serve and love. Our life has to reflect our Jesus and the love that we have for him. And I think that's a simpler way to disciple people than to find some practical study. You need to do this or say that or follow through, you know, it's not a formula. It's, it's uh, just a lifestyle, I think. And that's, that's where we get joy out of just showing up and loving other people. And then hopefully the Lord through us will impact their lives. Hmm. Oh man. I, I know you would never say it, but you know, hearing others talk about you, your ministry is, um, is just prolific and so longstanding. The faithfulness of praying and being a presence in Hollywood and inviting others in of creating this community of believers. Um, yeah, it's so significant. And, um, just when you talk it, you know, there's, there's no pretense. You simply just truly see yourself as someone following a good and beautiful God. And, um, yeah, it's really incredible. Oh, that's so kind. I honestly just think I've just got to show up every day. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. And there are days where I feel like, oh Lord, nothing's changing. Nothing's mm. happening. What? Oh my goodness. And then I just have to remember it's up to him. I just have to be faithful to him and I'll let him do the rest. And I pray that what we do can have an eternal impact. But if I don't see it, I can't stop. I just have to keep going and mm just be faithful. But the journey he's put me on, the people I've gotten to meet and the circumstances, I mean, even going to Africa, I never imagined I'd go to Africa. And that (laughs) trip was just so miraculous. And so I'm just humbled every day to go, okay, here we go. Do do something else exciting through me today, Lord, because this is really fun. Yeah. Okay. We like to close with fun final questions. So I'm going to throw something at you. Okay. 
If you could no limits, um, no, you know, cap of money, no anything. If you could do one project as a producer, um, what would it be? Who or what would you highlight and um, who would you partner with on the project? Well, I would say it would be, we've done a lot of these, but I would love to do more is to do a project with my sons writing and directing, my husband doing the music and me producing. Oh. I get such joy out of that. We we did it starting when they were in middle school and we've done all kinds of crazy films. Every summer we made a film together wow. and now they're professionals and they're doing great work. And I we have talked about how fun it would be to do a major project with the four of us, all filling the different roles that we love to do and to have it be a Covell family film. That would be mm. my ultimate. Mm. And what's a common interest that you think you could all come around the table on and all get really excited about for content? Oh, wow. We love, we love this, just the story of the human being overcoming Mm. somebody who was not expected. I'm working on a film now. I so love the project. It's the story, true story of a, of a stagecoach driver in the 1800s that became a known driver in California, killed a bandit on the road and helped women and was just known to be amazing, Charlie Parkhurst. And when Charlie died, they discovered he was a woman. She had to disguise herself as a man to be able to be a stagecoach driver because they didn't allow women to do that at that time. And it's such a story of overcoming a woman who knew what she was good at, who wanted to do it and overcame the odds of her time. And that's inspirational to me. I love stories of people who don't let circumstances stop them, who Mm want to be the best at what they can be, and they figure out a way to do it and overcome. So Mm -hmm. I think we all like stories like that. Now, my younger son loves blowing up things. (laughs) And my older son loves heartfelt stories. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to find something in the middle for all four of us. (laughs) I think those things could fit together somehow. (laughs) Don't you think? Oh, well, I am so looking forward to that Covell family film. I'm going to be looking out for it. You better email me when it it Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carrie. And this has been such a gift to spend this time with you. Oh, I appreciate it. And the best to you. This has been fun. Thank you so much for joining today's conversation. If you have any ideas, questions, reflections, feel free to leave us a comment on iTunes or reach out by email at info at faithworkrest.com.